you for just the privilege of, of the opportunity to know you and to become part of your family, but also to be your hands and your feet and to be your mouths to speak out the good news to others. And Father, we just really pray as uh, we meet together today uh, in worship that you might draw our hearts closer to you, maybe for some this morning. They'll come to a, a, an initial first-time relationship with you, and we pray that you might just allow the truth to penetrate and the love to penetrate their lives today. But Father, as we seek uh, to know your will, uh, might we have open hearts and minds, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, if you don't, probably someone under, there's probably a Bible near you under one of the, uh, the chairs that you're sitting in. Uh, and, and if you're um, new to the Bible, this is one of those books in the Bible that are, that's easy to find. It's the f- first book uh, in the Bible. It's the book of Genesis. So once you get past the table of contents and maybe some, some introductions to some things in, in the Bible, you'll find the book of Genesis. Genesis is the word beginnings. And uh, we are just at the beginning in the sense of this first part of this book. And we're in Genesis chapter 9. So kind of leaf your way through that, and uh, then we'll get into today's study. It's interesting that we've just, we've just gotten off the boat, and maybe sometimes you've been around people and they, they're new to the area and say, what, did you just get off the boat? Are you, are you a tourist in this uh, particular part of the world? And really what we're seeing now is Noah and his family are just off the boat. And just think for a moment, if you had a, a rather dramatic experience, you, for the very first time, saw rain from the sky, you saw waters break up from the, the, the grounds beneath you, and then you were on a ship or a, a barge for over a year, 371 days, if you count the days uh, fairly um, specifically, uh, and now what do you do? What do you, what do you do now when everything that you knew about life have now been changed? And, and we're not only talking about uh, all your neighbors and all the people that you used to see every day, not only animal life had changed dramatically, uh, plant life as well, but the weather and climate had changed. And, and what do you do now? It was really setting in that, that the judgment hand of God had been laid down on this planet, and now everything was starting over. And what, would, what should be your response? Now, when things happen, when things change, either we, they change for the better or they change for the worse. And a lot of it speaks about what, what kind of response do we have, what kind of attitude do we have. It's going to make us better or it's going to make us bitter. And we see that Noah got off the boat and did the right thing. In the latter part of Genesis chapter 8, we find out that uh, as, soon as, he, as soon as he got off the boat, he went to church. Now, it wasn't exactly a church there, but the first thing he did was to build an altar, a higher place, and then he worshiped God. He he did some animal sacrifices, demonstrating that God had sacrificed for him, and and now he's returning back in a statement of worship, in a statement of repentance, in a statement of praise, that he was praising God that he had been spared from the judgment of God. But then again, you say, "Well, well, now what? What should I expect from God? What's really going to be on his agenda? And as we think about life, that's an important question to ask. Not what's on your to-do list today, but what's on God's to-do list for you today? What does he really want you to do for the rest of your life? You know, there's a cliche that oftentimes people will say, you know, today is the first day of the rest of your life. And for Noah, it was the first day of the rest of his life, and everything had changed. You know, what was God's going to be attitude to this new family that was to, to now make everything happen? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. And the, the overall theme of this morning is who's really important? Who's really important to God? 
And we're going to see that. And in many ways, what we're going to see here is what theologians would say, uh, common grace. Uh, This is the thing that God gives out to the people he has made in his image and, and what he sees about us. And it's really pictured in how he treated that, that family, those eight people, Mr. and Mrs. Noah and Mr. and Mrs. Shem and Mr. and Mrs. Ham and Mr. and Mrs. Japheth, and what he said to them right after they got off the boat. Well, let's look at this morning. You can kind of follow lines. We look at uh, uh, your outline this morning, kind of help you kind of connect what I'm about to say. But what do we learn after the flood? And we're going to basically focus on four things this morning, but we'll begin with the first one. First of all, what we learn about what happened after the flood is that God blesses all of his people. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, I guess I might as well turn to it after I ask you to turn to it. In Genesis 9, verse 1, we have these very simple, straightforward statements. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so very plainly, you can say, well, what was on God's agenda? He wanted this family, extended family, Noah and his three sons and their wives, to know that he wanted to bless them. Now, the word bless is kind of a, kind of a religious word, isn't it? It's not a word that we kind of use in everyday language to talking to people unless we're kind of making fun of religious ritual or something like that. But God blessed them. And what does that mean when God gives a blessing? Well, it really has two ideas. One has the idea of, of words of praise. Uh, in, the, in the Greek language, it really has the idea of speaking well of someone. When you bless them, you speak well and you praise them. But there's another aspect, and this is the main emphasis here. It has the idea of, of doing whatever you can do to desire that they would prosper, that they would be made happy, that, that they would be able to experience the highest good for them. Many of us are familiar with the Beatitudes that began the, the best sermon ever as Jesus gave that sermon on the mount. You know, blessed are. And then he had the eight characteristics. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he would go on and on and on. Okay, blessed, blessed, blessed. And really what was he saying there? Some paraphrase translations will actually say he's saying happy are those who have these characteristics. And it really is the heart of God to bring happiness into his, in the lives of his people, to bring blessing, to bring prosperity, to do that which is their highest good. And that was God's desire for Noah. But it's interesting, as you look at the text, you, you see specifically an area of blessing. Because it's one thing to bless in general, but what are the specifics of the blessing? I bless you, but what what are you going to do for me? What kind of things am I going to get if I'm going to be prosperous or happy? Well, the focus here was initially in this area. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What he was going to bless that couple, those couples, uh, particularly the sons of Noah and Mrs. Noah. We don't know if they had any more children. It seems like they didn't, probably. um, Is that he would bring them children. Now, Depending upon your experience, children are either a blessing or they are a curse. Well, it didn't take you long to figure that one out, right? And sometimes they're a blessing when they're very young and they become a curse when they're what? A little bit older, teenage years, right? But, but really the idea from the very beginning is that children are a blessing to their parents. And then if you have reached that very prominent 
a special level in life where you're now grandparents, every grandchild is a blessing. I mean, you get to play with them, and when they act up, you just send them home, right? Is that children were a blessing of God, and somehow in the recent years, we we have uh, culturally kind of struggled with that. People are encouraging people to have smaller families rather than larger families, and often when they have children, they often really make that emphasis, enjoy them now because they're going to reach their teenage years or whatever. But God's heart at the very heart was children were a blessing to people. And we really need to acknowledge that. And in the very beginning, think about it for a moment, for, for Noah and for his three sons and their wives. You, you could have made a, um, a large question in their hearts about the whole idea of what's God going to do in terms of life after them. He had just judged probably not just millions of people, but probably billions of people. He he had seen what happened when imperfect people had children who were what? Imperfect. He, He had seen what that had happened. And maybe God said, you know, I spared you because I found, uh, you found grace in my eyes. God had given Noah what he didn't deserve. Noah was not perfect, but he had a heart for God. And you could have thought, they could have thought, well, you know, we're going to enjoy life for however old we get, but once we're done, God's had it, okay? You know, we're going to have a natural death. They had a judgment hand of God, and he's not going to repopulate the earth with us. But that was not on God's agenda. On God's agenda is he wanted to bless them. And the blessing was that they were going to have children and grandchildren. In fact, we even know that from the, the line of, of Shem, one of those children would be in the human line of the Savior Redeemer who was to come. And, and can you imagine, I mean, I think all of us, I think during these Olympic years, in fact, we were kidding around with some people yesterday, yeah, you know, I, I, wouldn't it have been great if I, when I was really young, I had trained for some obscure Olympic sport, you know, not one millions and millions of people try to train for, but someone don't, don't, they don't care about it. and I could have gone to the Olympics and maybe got a medal, and wouldn't that have been awesome to be someone special enough to compete or even, or maybe even win at the Olympics? And if you, uh, and sometimes when people do prominent things and their children, uh, you know, even if you get a sticker, you know, at, at you know, at, at your elementary school, you put you put all kinds of things on your car announcing how good they did at school. You know, we, we love to have our children do something that, that uh, is praiseworthy. Think about that for a moment. That through the line of one of those that were on that ark, the Savior would come. What kind of blessing was that? And so all I want to say to you is you think about God's agenda for the people he has made in his image. It's uh, at the heart of God is that we would experience his blessings, that we would prosper, that we would be happy, that we would experience God's highest good and plan for our life. You know, as you look at the New Testament, I have a couple passages in your outline this morning. That's even more so true for those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 1, 3, it says this, Blessed be the God of our Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. 
So often, we as followers of God, we think somehow we got shortchanged. We look at some people maybe that we look up to spiritually or the gifts and abilities they have and say, how come I got the empty deck? There's some cards missing in what God should have dealt with me. But as it relates to our, our, our personal relationship with God, there's nothing missing. There's no believer on this planet, I don't care how prominent of a Christian he is, that has more, or she is, that has more going for them spiritually than you, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way. You have everything you need to know God in an intimate and deep way. You've been blessed not just with a few spiritual blessings, but every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In other words, God has given you everything you need and I need to live life to its fullest. Or 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine powers grant to us all things that pertain to, the, to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. We have everything that we need to have a great relationship with God, to experience life to its fullest, to experience what Jesus said, I, I came to give you life, and not just life, but life more, what? abundantly, that we might experience life's joy, but not just joy, but full joy, not just joy and full joy, but the same joy that Jesus has and experience life to its fullest. So who's really important? Who's really important are the people who understand they are blessed by God. But it moves on in terms of the, just what happens right after they get off the ship. And that's found in verse 2. And I, I struggle with how to put this in a phrase, and probably I would, I'd change it. But what I have on your outline, at least in, in terms of the, the uh, thing that will be on the, the overhead, is that not only does God bless all of his people, God prioritizes all of his people. I, I, if, you, if you want to change that, you can say God values all of his people. And that's kind of inherent in terms of understanding his blessing but the reason I would prioritize is because God made a lot of things when he created the earth, didn't he? And even after the flood, he, he preserved animal life and then he regrew plant life. And as you think of all the things God had made, we need to understand we are at the top of the food chain here. There, there is no one, anything like us. And we need to radically believe that, no matter how many other voices we hear, that we're just like anything else in this universe, that we were made specially. And even in Genesis chapter 1, remember it was God made everything and it was good, but then when he made male and female, it was what kind of good? It was very good. And listen even as he compares it in verse 2. And the fear of you... And the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, and all that move on the earth, and all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. Now again, when you first read that, I think, well, okay, what's so important about that? What's so special about that? Well, again, just think for a moment. The, the creatures that God brought onto this planet, you know, some of them are fairly small, but quite a few of them are rather, what? large, big, and particularly after the fall, some of them are pretty ferocious. Uh, they are, they're pretty deadly. And I'm sure when they got off that ship, they began to wonder, you know, some of those things we put on that ship, you know, they could be a danger to us. I mean, our lives could be at risk because of the things that we preserve and put on this ark. And so from the very beginning, he said, I want you to understand that that I'm going to put something within their instinctive being in which they'll have a natural fear of you. 
Have you ever, have you ever experienced that? We're, uh, we've often, our family, went camping on our vacation. We'd get out the tent and you know, find a spot of ground and pitch it and stay there for a while, whether it was at the beach or whether it was at, uh, most often in, in the mountains. And sometimes you're out in the, uh, I don't know what you call it, wilderness, but you kind of away from the crowds. There are, other, there are other animals there. And we have regularly encountered bear where we have camped, okay? And bears are a little, a little bit larger than us, right? And they have all kinds of things they'll tell you that you ought to do to make sure that you don't experience your bear uh, time in a very negative way. But, you know, if you do encounter a bear, you know what they tell you to do? They say, make yourself look large and make a lot of noise. And I'm thinking, you make a lot of noise and who runs? The bear runs. Uh, that makes no sense to me. I mean... They're big, I'm small, they got larger teeth, big claws, you know, I got smaller teeth, no claws, I'm not, I'm not Wolverine, you know, I'm not one of those X-Men people, and, and if you make noise, they run. Where did that come from? That came from God. Hey, there is a natural, in fact, most, most I, I, I'm not a hunter, uh, but I've talked to a lot of people who do hunt, and they say most animals, they're more afraid of you than you are of them. Now, if you get them in a corner, you do some things, they'll come at you, but most of the time, they're going to get away from you, and some of those are huge game hunters. Now, there are some things that have devolved since that time in terms of, but, but basically animals, even, even killer, killer um, sharks, have you seen some of those wild things on TV? Those sharks, unless they think you are a submerged, um, what are those, seal, you know, they're not going to come after you, okay? They, they think you're, the reason they eat you is because they think you're a seal, which matters, why do, why do they, why do they put, why do they make the wetsuits black? Why can't make them a different color? Maybe they wouldn't think of you were a seal. But even a lot of those killer animals won't go after you. I need to help a lot of my message, I'm sorry, okay, anyway, but... That came from God, and the reason is because God values you more than anything else on this planet. Uh, as you look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 26 and 27, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to its stature? God prioritizes, God values his people. And hopefully you get the simple point. Uh, there are many times that we don't consider ourselves of great value. There are many times we think, well, who, who really cares about me? And maybe at the moment you're around some people who don't seem to care about you. But you have someone who cares about you more than anyone else and knows you better than anyone else. And he still values you. He made you in his image. And as he looks at all the created things he has put on this universe and on this planet you are of supreme value above all those things now now we need to be honest however there there are a variety of groups who are now attacking that kind of thinking uh, just to give you a few illustrations of that have you heard of a group called PETA the people of the, for the ethical treatment of animals they maintain that killing any animal for food is the moral equivalent of murder Eating meat is cannibalism, and man is a tyrant species, species detrimental to the environment. PETA, a very popular group, opposes the keeping of pets and companion animals, including guide dogs for the blind. They call this animal slavery. 
See, really, what you believe and what you think will radically change how you live through life. And there are many places in our country, not our country, in our world today, it's also our country as well, but more so in other parts of the world. The reason they have a food shortage is not because they have a shortage of food, they have a shortage of belief that some of that food can be eaten. And as you think about, okay, there is a person who is blind and needs help, if you believe that that dog is of the same value as that human being, then you would see that as animal slavery. What you believe will impact not only how you live, but depending on what kind of power uh, influence you have, will, com- will make a difference in how other people live. Ingrid Newkirk, paid his controversial founder, said, and I quote, There is no rational basis for saying that a human being has special rights. A rat is a pig, is a dog is a boy. We were seeing a little bit of that in the Truth Project uh, this last, um, last Wednesday. Newkirk told a Washington Post reporter that the atrocities of Nazi Germany pale by comparison to the killing of animals for food. Six million Jews died in concentration camps, but six billion broiler chickens will die this year in slaughterhouses. So you have to come to the conclusion, who's more important, people or chickens? Now, do do I think we ought to torture animals? Of course not. But you need to understand that God created, and we're going to see this in in a few moments, he created everything for us to have dominion over and for our sake. You're moving on. She and other animal rights advocates often sound, sound just crazy. Uh, I, I don't have any reverence for life. This is Mrs. Newkirk speaking. Only for the entities themselves. I would rather see a blank space where I am. This will sound like a fruitcake stuff again, but at least I wouldn't be harming anything. There's a magazine called Wild Earth, an article that says, if you haven't given voluntary human extinction much thought before, the idea of a world with no people in it may seem strange. But if you give it a chance, I think you'll agree that the extinction of Homo sapiens would mean survival for millions, if not billions of earth-dwelling species. Phasing out the human race would solve every problem on earth, social and environmental. See, that's a perspective on what you believe is most important. Who, who gets the priority? Who has highest value? And, you know, it, when people go into movie houses and randomly kill 12 people, obviously they have made a statement on the value of life. I'm sure he didn't know the 12, he probably didn't know the 12 he killed. Might have known some of the people in that day, but as he began to randomly shoot, it's because his view of life at that particular moment. One other organization. There's an organization called Church of Euthanasia. Uh, There'll be some membership cards out there if you want to go to that church uh, afterwards. Just kidding. They have a webpage that advocates suicide, abortion, cannibalism, and sodomy as the main ways to decrease the human population. And they give on the website detailed instructions for committing suicide. And the church only has one commandment, and this is it. Thou shalt not procreate. Because the problem in this world is we have too many people. So as we think about even God's words right after they got off the ship, Mr. and Mrs. Noah and their sons and their wives, 
He said, I want you to understand, I want to bless you. And I want to bless you. And one of the things I want you to be blessed by is having children. And I want you to have a lot of children. I want you to populate this world. Even though I know it will not be perfect because imperfect people produce imperfect people. But I love you so much, even when you're not totally right, I want to bless you. And I want to throw this in here as well. Sometimes when couples go through the, the challenge of, of not having the ability to have a child or they go through a season or maybe their life of not having as many children as they want. You know, eventually, after a while, you, you begin asking God, well, God, God, what's wrong with me? Is there a reason you didn't want me to have a child or is there a reason why you didn't want me to have more children? I, I want you to understand from the very beginning, no one deserves to have children. And as we think about it, Noah and, uh, didn't deserve to have his three sons, and his three sons, as they populated the, the world, that they were imperfect people, and God knew they were going to bring imperfect people into this world. And we know a little bit later on that God had to do some crazy things to kind of disperse the nations. It, it, we live in a broken world, and you aren't necessarily any more broken than anybody else. And God has compassion on you. And it's not because you've done something that was wrong. Remember when Jesus you know, caught the blind man up there and asked, well, what made him this way? And he said, it wasn't anything. It was just to show the glory of God. Our lack of experience or blessing in a particular area isn't normally a direct line to a sin that we have done. We live in a broken world. What do we learn from right after the ark, is that God blesses his people with everything that they need to experience life to its fullest. And then he very clearly proclaims that he values us more than anything else that he has ever made. But quickly, not only does he bless people, he values and prioritizes them, he also feeds them. Look, look what we have here in uh, verse 3. He says, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with life, that is, its blood. Surely, uh, for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning. We'll see that in a little bit, um, verse 4. But verse 3, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. What, what, happened, what happened after they got off the ark? Uh, the items on the, the food menu got expanded. And I don't, I don't know how you could put it any more plainly. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Uh, we find out later when God raises up Abraham and develops a nation that, that through the Mosaic Law, there was some commandments given there. Uh, but, but that was particularly to point to them to be a peculiar people, to, to set them aside from everybody else. But if you look at what happened when they got off the ark, there was freedom as it relates to food. And, and let me just illustrate that for a few passages. Look at Acts chapter 10, verses 12 through 16. And this is Peter, who was pretty kosher. He, was, he had been a Jew all his life and was a, a, obedient to the, the, the law. He said God gave, gave him a dream, and in it we have these words. In, in it were kinds of four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. 
And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What good, what God has cleansed you, must not, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. And if you don't get the picture here, Peter had had, had a very strict diet. There, was, there were a number of things he would not eat because he thought it was more spiritual. And when it was under the economy, the, the law of the Old Testament, that was a restriction. But God very plainly said to him, I want you to understand anything is... Anything up out there is, is okay to, to respond to and to enjoy and to experience to, it life to its fullest. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. Uh, you know, we have a lot of people who want to tell people what they ought to be eating. And, and let me t- I'm going to talk about this more. The issue is not so much what you eat, it's what? How much of it you eat. That's the real critical issue here. Uh, the, the, the Bible does value our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you're not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Let me put it as plain as this. There is a, a whole movement talking about you know, we shouldn't eat uh, red meat. Have you ever heard that? Let me, let me ask you, it, the, the story of the, the, the prodigal son, remember that one? You know, and and the, the father is a picture of our heavenly father. The son goes off and spends time with wine, women, and rock and roll. I don't know if it was rock and roll, but wine, women, and doing all kinds of stuff. He comes back, and, and they begin to celebrate his, his response of faith back to the, the father and to the family. And, and the father in that story calls his servants and says, Go kill the fatted, what? Calf. Now, do you think it's quite possible there's an illustration there that eating the meat of a calf is okay? I don't know, but that's red meat. It's all right to eat red meat. Now, the issue is how much of it you eat, but there, there's, there's no restrictions. And I want you to understand that God blesses his people. He blesses his people. Part is that we can enjoy life and the food chain as much as we can. There's freedom. Let me just give you a few things. We ought to eat freely, but we ought to live wisely. Uh, you know, there's some things we ought to do in terms of being healthy. Uh, I, I just saw a thing on the Yahoo News. Now the thing about cutting out milk at the schools. I think milk is going to—it's the reason why people are, are obese or whatever it might be. Like the issue is not what kind of food items you're eating. The issue is how much of it. Now, there are some things you ought to do simply. You ought to eliminate most wasted calories. Some of the wasted calories are the things we drink. You know, some wisely said, you know, if you only, there's only a certain amount of calories probably each one of us eat, and it's different for different people based on their lifestyle, based on, based on um, their age, based on their activity, uh, their metabolic rate, whatever it might be. But wasted calories are the calories you drink. There was, a, I think it was a Richard Woods Foundation did a study, and they said if most people, if they were just to take out drinking uh, soda uh, every day, uh, if they have that habit of drinking soda, their, their caloric intake would be dramatically ch- uh, changed in terms of what could happen. And in fact, they said if people would just drink water and not drink sodas all the time, they would probably elim- eliminate, on average, 225 calories a day. Well, if you at, times 225 by 365 days, that's over 82,000 123 calories. And they it would say, if you just drank water, 
and took away those sodas, then you would lose 24 pounds in a, in, a, in a year just by not drinking sodas. Now, you have to be careful you don't replace it with other sugary stuff, but, but when we eliminate certain things out of our diet, it will, it will impact uh, our, our weight. Uh, we ought to eat less processed and sugary foods. You know, man, I, I've got a, a sugar tooth that I would probably compete with anybody here. Anybody who's been with me in, on, when I'm on vacation, man, I've heard people say, you know, you've heard that. Remember that old commercial? I think it was Lay's commercial. You can't just eat one, a potato chip. Well, man, I can't eat just one chocolate chip cookie. I mean, and I'm not talking about two. I'm talking about four or five or six. But if, 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 if I'm living wisely, I can eat freely, it's, it's will I control how much I eat? And I ought to eat less processed food and sugary foods. I'd eat more fruit, vegetables, and nuts. As far as I'm concerned, people ask me, what kind of vegetables do you like? I go, I don't like any vegetables. You know, if, if the corn is super sweet, where it almost tastes like candy, then yeah, I'll eat it. You know, but beyond that, I, I, mean, I have to make it a personal discipline to eat vegetables. Uh, we ought to eat sufficient protein. It's all right to eat meat. Now, if you choose not to, if you choose not to eat meat, all right, that's fine, but don't make it a spiritual religious thing and not necessarily a, a slam dunk dietary issue. It's something you choose to do. God gave us um, foods to eat, and, and we can eat all those. And in fact, I think it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 25. He, he says, hey, eat the meat. He's just telling me, eat the meat. Don't worry about it for conscience sake. You know, where did this wheat come from? If it looks good, eat it. And of course, we ought to exercise more. We ought to keep get our body moving. Uh, this kind of statement. Some of us need to eat more, and other, other of us need to eat less. Can I tell you something if you, if you promise not to tell anybody else? Okay, I, I was with, a, it was supposed to be a secret. I was in, a, I was in the doctor's office with my dad, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, and my dad's been losing weight, and we were t- I was talking about all kinds of things, and at the end of the t- time with the doctor, he said, now, I, I want you to promise me, Art, that uh, you won't tell this to any of my other patients, but I'm going to tell you, I want you to eat more, not less. Now, the reason I feel free that he didn't tell me that, he didn't tell me I couldn't tell anybody, but he only told my dad couldn't tell anybody. There there are people that need to eat more rather than less. And and in fact, he said this, you can eat whatever you want. There's no restrictions on your diet. Just eat more. And and so most of us, the issue is not what we're eating, but how much we're eating. That's the issue. Now, there there ought to be some common senses that we do, but be very careful about that. Um, and let me just throw the, you know, again, with, if red meat is an issue, if you, you need to understand that when the priests were to take the offerings, remember that? They would, they would, they would sacrifice the animals. You know, they weren't, there were some grain offerings, but most of them were, were uh, animal offerings. When they did the animal offerings, and when whatever was left from the consuming of the offering on the, the altar, who ate the, who ate the leftovers? The priests did. Now, they were to be the spiritual leaders in that nation. And if it was all right for them to eat meat, I think it's all right for us to eat meat. Now, he does put a couple of restrictions in Genesis chapter 9, verses 3 and 4. He says, don't, don't drink the blood and don't, don't basically eat raw meat, which means if, if, if the animal isn't dead, don't start chomping on it, all right? Let it die first. You know, and that's just kind of common sense. Why is that common sense? Because blood transports all kinds of diseases. I mean, all the bacteria, all the micro whatever things that are in there. Uh, that is, you know, you can get all kinds of diseases by just connecting with blood. 
And so, man, make sure, you know, it, when you eat meat, okay, some of you like it rare, but not too rare, all right? Make, make sure it's cooked a little bit. I'm looking out at, at Ian over there. In, in Scotland, uh, they have, uh, I think it's Scotland, blood pudding, blood pudding. Now, uh, no, no, what's it called? It's called black pudding. I'm sure they, they try to disguise it. If you go over traveling, they say, hey, we'd like some black pudding. I think, oh, it's just, that's just the color of the pudding. It's not just the color of pudding. It's not black pudding. It's blood pudding, all right? Now, the only thing that reason where they, they haven't, you know, health-wise come out as bad as Ian is that, no, is that, is, is that they do cook that blood pudding to death, man. And it's pretty crunchy, and so it's, uh, it, you know, they've kind of, if you cook something long enough and strong enough, it, you, you take out all the bad stuff out of it, all right, or most of it. So, but that was the only thing they said as restriction. You know, don't, don't drink the blood and don't eat something that isn't dead yet, all right? You, know, you can have raw vegetables and raw fruit, but not raw meat. You know, God, God has given us freedom, and so often we restrict ourselves and, and put up things that shouldn't be done. Now, my time's already passed, and I haven't got to my last point. But let me just throw it out to you, and we may or may not go back to that. God also protects all of his people. And in Genesis verses uh, 9, 5, and 6, basically what he has there, he he gives the, the reason and, and the, the mandate that when we look at the value of what he has created, most importantly, which is mankind, that when another person takes the life of another person that is so egregious to God that that life can also be forfeited as well. Or put it this way, in terms of capital punishment, God is for it. Now, there ought to be some careful ways we administrate that and uh, be careful about that. But if the value of life is so important to God that when someone else takes a life, and we're talking in a murderous situation, we're not talking about uh, in war times, we're not talking about in terms of defending yourself, but when you take a life, um, in a premeditated way, then that life under God's economy can be taken. In fact, even Paul, when he was before one of the rulers, he said in Acts 25, verse 11, for, for I'm an, if I'm an offender, I've committed anything deserving to death, I do not object to dying. But if there's nothing in these things at which these men accuse me, no one else can deliver them, I appeal to Caesar. Basically, it was before a court of law. I said, look, if I'm guilty, and if I'm guilty at the highest level, you can, you, can, you can put righteous judgment on my life, even to the point of taking my life if I'm deserving of death. But if I'm innocent, then I appeal to a higher court. There, there's much more we could say about that. But what I want you to understand is that God, as we ask the question, who's really important to God? It's everyone you see in this room today. And everyone you see outside the sanctuary today. Everyone is important to God. Jesus died for the sins of everyone because he desires that all men to come to him. He doesn't desire that anyone should perish. The gospel is for everyone because God created us in his image and he sent his son to die for us. And that's why we ought to look at ourselves and understand that not only are we really important, but everyone we come in contact with as well. And we want them to experience life as made by their creator and also magnified by their redeemer if they'll come to faith.
Let's pray. Father, and all the things that we've uh, tried to say this morning, I, I, I pray that each of us will, will recognize that the God who started this all and continues in this universe wants us to understand we are of, we are of eternal value to him. He wants us to see the value as we have been made in his image, but then he wants us to see how valuable we are because he sent his son to die for us. Help none of us hear about the message of Jesus dying for us and just turn away from that. Might we run to the Savior and then as we come to him, then run to others to tell them about the Savior. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen.